Episode two. Terrible twos. The uh, the old sophomore slump. Alex, what are we bringing to the table for episode two? I brought vitamin water. Oh, when's there going to be a Retro Pals vitamin water? <laughs> I want to be like 50 cent. Is this is this a vitamin water that... Yeah, this is the existential vitamin water that asks you what happens when your phone dies and doesn't know if it feels pain. What? And it says, I know that this is a lot for a fruit punch to ask, but I'm curious. I shouldn't say pain. It knows if it feels... It asks if it feels anything. Give me that. It's existential. Glacial vitamin water. Revive fruit punch. What happens to your phone when it dies? Does it know it's dead? Does it feel anything? When it comes back to life, does it remember being dead? I know this is a lot for a fruit punch to ask, but I'm curious. It, it didn't That didn't creep me out until the, the next to last one, where it was all like, did it know it was dead and then it came back? Can it tell us about a, a light in the tunnel? Is, is it going to have a heaven is for real moment? Let's ask 50 Cent. Live from Austin, Texas, where you can have our physical media when you take it from our cold, dead hands. It's Retro Pals with Danny and Alex. Hello, Alex. Hey, Danny. Absolutely. I am I am never getting rid of this uh, VHS copy of the Baby Bob premiere. No, ever. never. I will fight you. All our VHSs, that's the most durable movie format. You know, all these others, they're just going to get broken over time. VHS, that is built to last. You throw a DVD at a dude, it may snap. You throw a VHS tape at a dude. He's going to the hospital. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anyway, hello. We're Retro Pals. It's time for episode two. Uh, some people thought it was a good idea to come back after that disastrous first episode. So here's our chance at redemption. Mm-hmm. We're Retro Pals, and we're here to talk about video games. And hopefully not mess it up this time. So episode two, I took notes this time. This episode takes a look at the download services that were previously available for cartridge-based systems. We're going all the way back to the beginning, folks. Alex has researched the Intellivision Play Cable, and I can talk briefly about the Atari 2600 game line. Well, this is interesting. I actually researched the Atari 2600 more than the Play Cable. <laughs> okay. But I'll let you know go, what I... Go for it. Okay. What I do know is it was a um, it was a, a delivery system through your cable company, like a lot of the other systems we'll be looking at today. And um, I, th- I think that one was... They were able to get some publishers for that one, some developers, unlike the Atari 2600 one where they were, oof, really screwed. But what would happen was um, you would uh, connect with... The Play Cable uh, services, you would, I think you would get a subscription through them, and then you get like a secondary one, and then they pipe it into your Intellivision. I'm not, I forget how many you were able to have, but I think you were allowed only a limited number of uh, game downloads at a Probably time so, as well. Yeah. yeah. So this was a service that you subscribed to as part of your uh, cable package, mm-hmm. and you'd hook up a cable to your old Intellivision, and you would download full version games. This was back in 1980, so right on the cutting edge, these mm-hmm. Intellivision owners. Yeah, I think it was one of the first modems created for a game console. There, now, there are other modem systems for game consoles, but those weren't, uh, some of them, like the one for the CDI, wasn't a game delivery service. It was just an online service. Also, the CDI had an was, online module. There was one for the CDI. <laughs> yeah, you could do, like, they're using it for, like, uh, 
for like multimedia consoles at and delivery systems and catalogs and things like that. It was more industrial use. Oh, than okay. Home so it wasn't use. like DLC for Wacky World of Miniatures. No, no, unfortunately, that's no, a shame. No extra Rolo costumes. That is a damn shame. So yeah, around the same time, Atari was doing its game it line. Uh, game system. line. So GameLine differentiates itself from Intellivisions because rather than being through the cable line, this was over telephone modem. Mm-hmm. Good old telephone technology. You hooked up a, a telephone jacks to your, to your 2600, mm-hmm. and you'd get full version games, much like the Intellivision one. I looked at a game list for that thing, and it looks pretty impressive. There was like over 50 there are. There's a lot of games for it. But the thing about the game line is they couldn't get a lot of major publishers on board. So a lot of the games that they had weren't super great. And oh, the te- just the crappy old Atari stuff. Mm-hmm. And the technology at the time was really um, interesting They because these games, they'd be downloaded, but they could only be played about five to ten times. Not just that, you'd have to pay for the... Um, the service, and then you'd have to pay per game as well. So you'd be paying like... Uh... They divixed it? <laughs> yes, yeah. Oh and my god, but why? I forget. There was There is a technical reason why it would only be played five to ten times, but the fact that... But you'd have to get a subscription to them, so you'd pay this, you know, the monthly yearly fee. You would get a magazine with that, but then you'd have to pay per game title, and they wouldn't last either. Mm. So you'd get like five, ten plays, and then that's it. Dang. And these games weren't that great either. But the history of the game line is pretty interesting, though, because... Uh, Tell us all about it. Well, the creator of it decided wanted to do other things as well. He wanted to do not just game line, but he wanted sports line a way for people to look up sports through their phone he wanted um i think there was a tv line there's all these other kinds of lines a news line stock line things like that but the first time he tried it was through a cable company with music he wanted to do a music online service but music publishers were like no we don't want streaming music not now that's that's <laughs> never going to take off this is no this is a dead mm-hmm. end just go ahead and delete that technology it's not going anywhere game line lasted until about the same time that the uh, play cable did until 83 the crash destroyed it because well you could pay two dollars to play a game five to ten times through game line or you could go to the uh radio shack and pick up like 10 games for like five bucks two dollars each just like sealed it was an extremely bad deal that was the result of the game crash you could get really cheap games and they were all really terrible However, GameLine kind of evolved into something else later. The guy really liked the idea of the games and stocks and whatever, uh, accessing those kind of portals through your phone. So 1994, they came back, they changed their name, and they eventually became America Online. And now you know the rest of the story. Yep, America Online started off as an Atari 2600 game download service. And a failed music streaming service. And a failed music service. One so, of the first. Yeah, that just goes to show, if you don't strike first, strike three times. Four or five, just keep going. That's how it goes, mm-hmm. yeah. Strike three, strike four, strike five, you get as many strikes as you want, mm-hmm. as long as you don't run out of money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know, anything else to say about these consoles? It sounds, yeah, at the time, considering games cost like 30, 40 bucks mm-hmm. before the crash... Yeah, that'd be a good deal. Just pay 10 bucks a month. You could download their, uh, whatever their, their rotating lineup was, mm-hmm. I guess. Which at the time was, uh, it was less of a deal than it is now because rotating titles like, oh, well, that's still more than I'd ever see at the local Toys R Us or whatever. Mm-hmm. There is no internet to find out about other games. This seems like a big smorgasbord of 2,600 <laughs> games for me to consume. Mm-hmm. Just shove them in my mouth. So so that happened. Yeah. Those both those things operated for a good couple years and they were cut short by the good old video game crash of 83. But years later, 
perhaps the uh, the strongest competitor in the video game field at the time, Sega, was the first to hop on the whole digital distribution thing uh, in the in the uh, AC, I guess, after Crash. We're currently in AC 40 or something like that, if we're counting things in gamer years. Anyway, go to our website to pick up a gamer calendar. It's a 700-day year, with each day celebrating a different video game character's birthday. I thought we were ranking it on a Steam sale time periods, or do we switch to that to other sale periods? Oh no, now we're exclusive with the Epic Store. Mm-mm, I should have asked the Gamer Council before that, you're right. So, after everyone else messed up the games industry, it was up to Sega to fix things, make things right... And with the launch of their Mega Drive, and then also Sega Genesis, circa 1989, shortly after, they wanted to launch a service for downloading games. Uh, This was announced here in the States. They did announce that Telegenesis Modem was the name for it. That never came out over here. Uh, They dropped their plans. They figured Americans were happy with Altered Beast, or whatever. (laughs) In Japan, though, they ended up launching the thing. I forget what the modem was called. I think it was just the Sega Mega Modem. And it came bundled with this piece of software called the Sega Game Toshokan, or the Sega Game Library. This thing had a built-in game. This also included a modem peripheral that that you could hook up to your phone line, a la the Atari 2600 thing. And you could download a rotating selection of very small, very short games that would play on your Sega Mega Drive. This thing was cool. This sounds really cool, actually. This, this is this thing actually had a library of dozens of unique games, some of which you can't see anywhere nowadays, and some of which were later compiled in uh, compilations for Genesis and Sega CD. We'll talk about those in just a little bit. Let me let me actually read verbatim the quotes from Sega Retro to make sure I'm not mincing my words here. It had a subscription fee of 800 yen a month, with six months up front needed to be paid. The launch titles, when it launched in November of 1990, were games called Putter Golf and Pyramid Magic. Now we've Pyramid Magic! The Magic of the Pyramids. Now, oh, yeah. I'm going to try and make sure to uh, show some gameplay footage if you're watching the YouTube version of this video. Uh, let's go ahead and start talking about these games. So yeah, you would connect to the service, download these games, which wouldn't take long. They were really small, between 32 kilobytes and 64 kilobytes. Uh, in comparison, early Genesis games like Altered Beast were 512 kilobytes. So, oh, wow. So they really had to be compact and uh, just make these really small, casual-ish games, I guess you could say. Yeah, I know with the Intellivision and the Atari 2600 as well, there was very little space to store these games. So, yeah. That wasn't really necessary, considering those games were small to begin with. That's true. But here in the here in the Genesis era, they kind of had to dial things back and go back a few years in terms of design. Be like, no more arcade graphics, folks. We're going to just do whatever works here. So, this thing also allowed you to play online with a very few select games. Uh, here's their entire library, because I can read through it in like 30 seconds. There was Advanced Dyson Yaku, which was a military strategy game. Cyberball, which was football with robots. This was actually an Atari arcade game, but the Mega Drive version had online play. There was Nikon Sports Pro Yaku. Yaku is baseball. This is a baseball game. Shikinjo, which is a block-pushing puzzler. And finally, two games from Sunsoft, sister games. They are called Telltale Mahjong and Telltale Stadium. Now, the Mahjong one was head-to-head Mahjong, while Telltale Stadium was a baseball game, but you didn't control the players, given the latency of early online play. Instead, it was just two players basically serving as managers. (laughs) I guess if you wanted, you could call up your friend on the other line and, like, uh, 
I don't know, you could like do uh, Tommy Lasorda versus Marge Shot or something. <laughs> Just shout at each other. Okay, not Marge Shot. But, I was going to say. But someone no, better. That's, that's the original heated gaming moment there, God. <laughs> Marge Shot invented the heated gamer moment. Who knew? So we have lists. I got a list of games here. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about a few of the games they put on this thing. Now, first of all, there was ports of contemporary arcade games. I, I should air quote the word contemporary because these games are pretty old at the time. Soon after it launched, it came with a version of Flicky, mm-hmm. that game where you were uh, a bird mom who has to collect her baby birds and avoid cats. It's kind of interesting. Uh, never released on cartridge in Japan, but considering that uh, the MegaNet service was never available over here, they went ahead and printed a cartridge run here in the States for some reason. Hey, for gotta this, have that flicky. For this tiny, tiny game from like six or seven years ago when it was released. Gotta have that flicky. Another game they put on there was Teddy Boy Blues, mm-hmm. another ancient arcade game. There was a Master System port, but this port was a little bit upgraded compared to that other one. And there was also stuff like Columns which is a retail Sega Genesis block-dropping puzzler. You're all familiar with it. We all love Columns. It's Columns. As well as a game called Shinomeku Labyrinth of Death. Oh. This was a game that was later remade and released in cartridge form here in the States as Fatal Labyrinth. Oh, I love that game! That's a good game. Yeah, yeah that's, that's one of the first console roguelikes. And the thing is, if you look at the original Shinomeku, it's like... It's sort of like a prototype version of Fatal Labyrinth. It has, like, no borders on the text. The enemies look weird. So, like, they, they kind of had to revamp it before they released it here in the States. But if you ever wanted to look at an in-progress version of Fatal Labyrinth, I guess you could play She Don't Make You. Man, I had no idea. That's great. <laughs> yeah, so, so a lot of those smaller games that you saw in Genesis and you wondered, why is this a cartridge game? Well, that explains it. That explains why mm-hmm. Flicky exists. Explains why Fatal Labyrinth exists. I kind of like Fatal Labyrinth, but not many people do. Yeah, it's, it's a real uh, divider there. So let's go through the list here. Here's the list of all the Sega Mega Net exclusives. Uh, those that I know a little bit about, I'll talk about. Those that I don't, I will just skip. So let's start off at the beginning of the list. This is a game called 16 Tons, or just 16T. Uh, Alex, you don't see any gameplay footage right now, so imagine this in your mind's eye. Mm-hmm. This is an infinitely scrolling platformer arcade game where you throw 16-ton weights at enemies who, in the game's fiction, are bugs. You're a programmer who has to squash bugs. I... okay. Okay. It's pretty neat. That's uh, interesting. Though the, the sprites are a little bit primitive, given the limited size, so it looks like you're fighting a bunch of clones of the Hamburglar. Mm, I just... I hear 16 tons, and I think it's going to be about, you know, hauling coal or something. Yeah, what not... do you get? Another day older and deeper in debt. True. Uh, the game was loosely based on that, I believe. <laughs> it was Tennessee uh, Ernie Ford's uh, hit uh, delving into programming. Mm-hmm. Squash those bugs. <laughs> that was the lesson behind that song. Tennessee Ford, the original gamer. The original gamer. Some Somewhere along the line on this podcast, we're going to find out who the original gamer was, the OG, and we're going to honor them. Anyway, 16 tons. Uh, if you play it for a while, you may notice it kind of superficially resembles Teddy Boy Blues, given that that's also a side-scrolling, infinitely eight-way scrolling game, where it's pretty much just a series of arenas where you have to kill all the enemies to progress to the next one. That's because 16 Tons is by the same designer and director as Teddy Boy Blues. Okay. And you can look at this as like a an alternate version of Teddy Boy Blues, or maybe a prototype for a sequel, because it, it shares a lot of the same gameplay. It's just a little bit different trying out a couple new things. Uh, The attack mechanics are different. And I appreciate that game existing because it 
offers another look at the Teddy Boy Blues formula. Something you wouldn't get anywhere. Maybe something they started developing but decided, oh no, this sucks, we have to give up on this. But... (laughs) It's not sucky enough to not be a Sega Mega Net game, so maybe polish it up and push it out via modem, and people are happy. So Sega Mega Net is like the scraps. You might look at it that way, I guess. Well, but... I mean, not bad scraps. I mean, sometimes scraps are really good. Like, yeah. someone's like, ah, oh, I don't want this. You want this? And you're just like, yeah, I'll eat that lobster tail or whatever. In, maybe not lobster. Yeah, in, in talking about the next few games, I really want to position this service as being less like a full game download service and more like a collection of DVD extras, mm-hmm. where it offers in this insight into what kind of stuff Sega was making at the time, maybe some abandoned prototypes. I really get the sense that a lot of these games were scrapped halfway through development. And then once they figured out a way to ship the scraps, that's what they did. Except, I mean, except instead of being insulting, it's actually pretty cool. I mean, if you're a Sega fan. Yeah, and I mean, if they put all that work and effort into the game, I'm glad it got released in some form at least. Yeah, why not? Mm-hmm. Now, also on Sega Mega Net, other games include Awarg Hero in the Sky. This is a game where you play as a robot, and every time you shoot things, you propel yourself backwards. You have to consider where you are in the environment before you just shoot things. So so a shooter with recoil? Yeah. Wow. It's kind of like this really old Famicom game called Astro Robo Sasa. I was thinking about Sasa. Yeah. yeah. It's kind of like a, a 16-bit take on that. Again, very primitive, uh, not quite ready for retail, but an interesting gameplay mechanic and fun to spend a few minutes on after you download it. Moving on, we have Hyper Marbles. I... It's marbles, but hyper. Cool. I didn't play this one. I'm sorry. <laughs> is, is, is it really like is it is it really like marbles or? I don't know. I hope there's like jacks. Is there a hyper jacks? <laughs> it's just it's just jacks with a bunch of EDM behind it. Or, or, or like, like you're or like you're playing it. jacks with jacks from Mortal Kombat. <laughs> do it. Mortal Kombat people do this. Slam his metal arm on the ground and just anyway. <laughs> it's also on the docket. Hey, it's another remake. Koi no Doki Doki Penguin Land MD. This was a Sega SG-1000 turned arcade game, turned Master System game, turned Mega Drive Mega Net remake. So this is like three levels removed from the original Penguin Land. And yet, it's still the same game, because it's a game about pushing an egg around, you gotta get it to the ground safely. You, you played this, right? So, so it's like Pengo or whatever. Kinda? Pingo is that overhead view game where you push the blocks. Pingo oh, no, is I was the thinking game. of, yeah, no, I was, you're yeah, right, you're right. Sega, it's easy to be confused. Sega has multiple games starring penguins in the 80s. There are so many 80s penguin games. It's, frust- got, it's, it's honestly, it's just frustrating. You got your Pingo, you got your Penguin Coon Land, you got penguin your adventure. Penguin Adventure, you got uh, Penguin... You may Penguin Monogatari. That's it. There's too many penguins. You knew what I was thinking about. <laughs> so if you want penguins, you're well served here on MegaNet, even though this really is just a, a gussied up Master System game. It's also had a series of games that were undumped as far as I know. Yeah, I didn't mention this, but a lot of these games are preserved. They were preserved officially in some cases and unofficially in others, because what you would have to do is find an old uh, Sega game Toshokan cartridge out there at Super Potato or whatever, and just hope that it has an undumped game on it so you can extract it. These have not been found as far as I know. There's five games in the Kinetic Connection series. There were Kinetic Connection games for the Famicom Disk System, and I think those are games where it's just like a jigsaw puzzle, but the uh, the image is moving. Other games include Kiss Shot, Metal City, Megamind, and Paddle Fighter. Any I, of these sound interesting? I, Megamind? I mean, that was... That... It was a hit movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of people into that Megamind, let me tell you. <laughs> 
Paddle Fighter I have played. That's pretty much um, what you call the ski ball, ski, ski and shoot. Skeet shoot? Skeet shoot. No, that the thing with the, the paddles when you're in the arcade. Oh, air hockey. Air hockey. <laughs> wow. Oh, my brain is... I was going to say, that's usually my brain does that. Folks, it's Saturday. I have my brain turned off. Yeah. Paddle fighter. Yeah, it's uh, extremely high energy, high tension air hockey where you play against a computer player or a second player. You get power-ups. Uh, the computer player shit talks you the entire time while you're playing. That's pretty cool. Again, just That's little good. little tiny projects, not like these huge RPGs or adventure games, just like little games from Sega. The tiny games that they couldn't quite fit into a cartridge. That's kind of nice, though. It's it's sometimes nice to go back to smaller games where you don't have to put in like 300, 400 hours, you know? Exactly. Yeah, the casual games market is a thing nowadays. It's like Sega almost foresaw that coming. Now, another cool thing that was available from this service was a series of Fantasy Star 2 text adventures. This is super cool, in my opinion, because if you played Fantasy Star 2, there's a lot of different characters who join your party, except once they do, they introduce themselves with like a couple of sentences of text. They're like, hey, I'm Amy. I'm a doctor. I want to go with you to fight the mother brain. Okay, thanks for putting me in your party. I appreciate it. And then you never hear from them again. Like, they they say those couple sentences right when you meet them at your house, and then they don't say shit for the rest of the game. They are just... Yeah. They are dead weight. So what Sega did, in order to flesh out these characters, is they created a series of text adventures, each starring one of the uh, supplemental party members from Fantasy Star 2. So instead of getting their stories fleshed out in the game itself, you could go on the Sega MegaNet and learn things about your favorite side characters via these little vignettes, I guess. So a bunch of, like, Gaidens or whatever. Pretty much, yeah. You can think of it as a Fantasy Star Gaiden, except there's uh, one for each character. The only one I've played through is with Shur, or Shilka, as she's called in the Japanese one. I should note all these text adventures have been translated into English. So if you want to play those, they are out there. There's a lot of text in them, too, so get ready for that. I think I remember uh, the, the Shilka or Shika one. That was interesting. That was one we streamed the, that, yeah. Yeah, yeah, with the art theft, right? <laughs> it is, yes. That was good. In that game, you play an art thief. You have to infiltrate a museum, uh, deactivate their robot guards, uh, slip into a party by putting on uh, a bunny outfit, mm -hmm. and eventually steal the priceless Opa Opa painting from this museum. So, so yeah, not only is it tied to the Sega universe, but it also gives a little bit of insight into uh, old Shur. Because in the game, Shur was a worthless party member. She basically served the role of a, uh, a teenage shoplifter. Mm. What she would do is you'd take her into a store, and she'd disappear, and you'd go back to your home, and she'd be like, Oh, I, I just uh, felt like getting some air. Uh, let me rejoin your party. And mysteriously, you have some extra items in your inventory afterwards. <laughs> okay, that that rules. And that's all you know about Shur in the entire game. So if you want some more insight into who she is and why she does what she does, you, you got to play that text adventure. And the thing is, it's pretty entertaining. It's pretty well written. And all the different ones have different gameplay styles. Like the, uh, the Shur one has almost no combat because she's all about avoiding detection. Mm -hmm. While others make you play as bounty hunters and you have to get into combat. And the combat is controlled through dice rolls. So it's pretty much just Dungeons and Dragons. Oh, wow. But if you can deal with a lot of text and combat being entirely random, since it's based on dice rolls, you can have a lot of fun with these games. Check them out if you're a Fantasy Star fan. Honestly, if, if they're as good as the Sure one, yeah, definitely look at them. I really enjoyed the Sure one. That was so cool. Yeah, and you can beat them in like half an hour to 45 minutes. Just real short, maybe not super replayable, but it gives you extra insight into what was one of the more popular Mega Drive games at the time. 
and an interesting way of doing it, too. Mm-hmm. All right. You want to take a break? Yeah. Let's take a break. We'll be back after these very important messages. Folks, I hear some of you out there are going without insurance, and that's no good. So we're here to talk to you about... Civilities Freedom Insurance. Civilities Freedom Insurance. They give you the freedom to be insured. Now, you're talking, I can't afford insurance. What, what am I, a guy with a job? Well, there's good news for you, because Civility offers insurance plans on a sliding scale. Say you have one car and you want to put it under insurance. You want to insure that car. So that'll cost you a little bit a month. However, with Civility, if you have two cars, that cost gets cut right in half. Just Ooh. slice it right down the middle, 50% off. And it doesn't stop there, folks. Three cars? That's 75% off. Four cars? You're insured for free, motherfucker. And five cars or more? Civility starts paying you! Not just that, Civility's got an app. That's right, they've entered the 21st century with an app on iOS, Android, Windows Phone, Zune, every single platform. Get paid through the app. Just submit your personal information, mm -hmm. and they will give you $1 to use towards apps in the Google Play Store. And if you use the app to buy special Civility bucks, you can use those bucks on Freedom's Gotcha. You say you've got one car, but you want that 100% discount. Roll that gotcha. Maybe you'll get a 1% discount. Maybe, unfortunately, you'll get a minus 2% discount. But keep rolling, because eventually, it's free. I got an S-Rank Sugo Rare 100% insurance discount. Amazing! And you can too, with Civility Insurance. Civility. They say it's too good to be true, but it's true. It's damn true. Civility. Offer available in 42 states. Not Texas, sorry. We're back, we're Retro Pals, and we're continuing our discussion of the Sega Mega Net and all of its games. Continuing with Putter Golf. Is that golf? It's golf. Mm. It's overhead view golf. This was the first game released for the Mega Net. It was later remade for the Sega Game Gear as Putt and Putter. A game that also no one has ever played. It's golf. It's golf. It serves a purpose. It'll keep your dad happy. Then we got the Pyramid Magic series, which encompasses Pyramid Magic, Pyramid Magic 2, Pyramid Magic 3, Pyramid Magic Editor, Pyramid, Pyramid Magic Soshuhen, Pyramid Magic Special, and Pyramid, Pyramid, Pyramid Magic, Pyramid Magic Yokukuhen. I prefer Spearmint Magic. <laughs> that is too many pyramids, what the hell? Now what these games were, were they're side-scrolling single-screen puzzlers, where you have to pick up blocks and drop them and climb on them, and the real challenge is figuring out how to traverse to the level's exit. Mm. It's a real simple puzzler, but given that it got six sequels, I guess it was fairly popular. That is so many pyramids, Jesus! Yeah, a lot of pyramids. That's so a many lot pyramids. of magic! That's like... That's some Illuminati shit there. <laughs> Other games include Riddle Wired, which I can only assume is a quiz game. 
mm-hmm. I guess. And Robot Battler. What you do is you build up a robot through this series of menus. You give him strength. You give him agility. And you just throw him to the wolves. Throw him out in the combat arena where other people have built up their robots. Except this doesn't have online play, so it's just like... AI built robots. The only ones with online player are the ones you mentioned at the beginning of this segment, right? Right, just yeah. that half dozen. Okay. Yeah, these others are just downloadable single player experiences. Some have two player. Yeah, it's funny you mentioned the FDS earlier because the FDS actually did have an online module, but it was not for it was only for online play and mostly for betting on horses. There was no game distribution through it. Oh, that's right. I should mention, yeah, Sega wanted to make this more than games. They wanted you to bet on horses, they wanted you to manage stocks get your news. They wanted you to get everything from this modem. This mm-hmm. the Sega modem should have been your entertainment center and also business center. It's always so weird to me to see consoles really trying to get into that business stuff like uh the, like uh Nintendo with the mm-hmm. FDS stock stuff with the CDI. I just I can't fathom that. Who There's I a can't... Super Famicom controller that has a fully built-in calculator keyboard for like doing your stocks. Who are these people doing their stocks on their I don't know, but they're rich, so they know what they're doing. I guess so. I guess so. Finishing up our list, they also released Sega Music Collections through this thing. So if you just wanted to listen to the music from Fantasy Star 3, load it up on the Sega game Toshokan. You don't get a game, but you get the music. That is so nerdy. I love it. That is. I guess that kind of uh, preempted CD audio soundtracks, because that became a big deal in the 90s. Just audio soundtracks of games. Way ahead of the curve. That's Sega for you. And finishing up the list, we have Sega Net News, which we just mentioned. That would have mm-hmm. been a news ticker. Uh, you would have been able to, like, personalize your news, only find out about all the things going on in Japan that you want. Mm. And finishing up this list is the infamous Sonic Eraser. Alex, have you ever played Sonic Eraser? No, I have not. After we finish recording this, I'm going to have to make you listen to the soundtrack, at least, because it goes okay. like this. It's the most jarring thing imaginable. It's like, it's it's almost as if Sega combined a church bell with a sledgehammer. Just listen to this. Oof. That was a game that was thought lost for a while because that was not compiled in any Sega compilations. Uh, eventually it was also translated, so if you really want to, you can play what might be the jankiest Sonic the Hedgehog game ever made. Yeah, unfortunately the game itself is not too great. It's kind of just like a block-dropping puzzler, a la Columns, only with some really terrible music and some really questionable Sonic sprites. So if you want to see Sonic like you've never seen him before, go to your <laughs> Sega MegaNet. So on that note, I did mention that these games were compiled in limited ways. The Sega Game Toshokan service ended September 1992. It ended with 3,500 subscribers, so still a pretty good subscriber base. But unfortunately at that point, those games were gone. You couldn't get those anywhere. They were just completely out of print, unavailable. Unless you happen to come across a uh, a used Sega Game Toshokan cartridge, you're not going to play those again. Until Sega, in its infinite wisdom, released a pair of compilations for the Sega CD, or Mega CD in Japan. These were called the Sega Game no Konzume Collections, Volume 1 and Volume 2. And both of these collected a number of Sega MegaNet games, including all the text adventures, stuff like Awarg and 16 Ton. You can play those on Sega Mega CD. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, they couldn't get all the games, considering there were several dozen. There was only a few of the Pyramid Magic games, unfortunately, so not all eight of them. Sonic Eraser is not part of the collection for some reason. Maybe it was too bad. Also, also, of note, these games come in cans. Yes. 
Yes, they come in little circular things that fit the discs, and they're very cute. I recommend them. so cute, but they barely fit on your shelf. You have them stacked up over there. Yeah, they do stack very well, I have to say. (laughs) If you ever wanted to hear what the Sega Game No Konzume games sound like when they clack together, here you go. How's that, gamers? (laughs) Welcome to Gamer ASMR. (laughs) Today we're going to be clacking together Mega CD cases for half an hour. And then we're going to be clacking together uh, Pico games for half an hour. Sounds great. Something for everyone. And then I'll be brushing Sonic's beautiful spines for about two hours. Then his feet. So anyway, after the the after the after the whole Sega game Toshokan Meganet thing uh, flatlined, that wasn't the end of it. Because over here in the States, they launched a little thing called Sega Channel. This is not through phone lines. This was another cable network thing, a la the Intellivision service. And man, I think the Sega Channel only existed to make kids really jealous of other kids who had that service. <laughs> Did you ever have Sega Channel? I did not. Um, our roommate had Sega Channel, and uh, I'm very jealous. She talks so about jealous. it, and I, yeah, I'm so jealous. Like, even now, 20 years later, I'm like, oh, I wanted Sega Channel. <laughs> it's cool. So what the Sega Channel thing was, it was this huge dongle that you would put into your Sega Genesis cartridge slot. You'd plug it into your cable modem, power it up, and you'd see a little animation of Sonic the Hedgehog enabling cable modem support for your Sega Genesis. Thanks, Sonic. It would take you to a series of menus that told you about the latest news and releases for Sega Genesis. And it would have a rotating selection of several dozen games, including new releases, old releases, and, interestingly, games that hadn't come out yet. Occasionally they'd have unfinished or prototype games on there. Uh, Notably, they had games that were not released in the States occasionally, including stuff like Pulse Man and Mega Man The Wily Wars. That was the only way you could experience those games here in the States, even though they got releases elsewhere. So if you were a Sega Channel kid... Boy, was I jealous of you. Like, back in the day, I went, there was some convention. It was just a bunch of booths that they put up at the convention center with all these different local industries or whatever. Sega had one there. There was some Sega representative who was all like, yep, Sega Channel, come get Sega Channel today. And I went up there to that convention to be like, yes, tell me about the Sega Channel. I want to know about the Sega Channel. And then after he finished his spiel, I was like, great, when's it coming to San Antonio? And he was like, oh, it's not coming to San Antonio. I am so so my mom and I got some sand art and then we left. I don't know why they were selling sand art next to the Sega booth, but whatever. <laughs> and ever since then, I've been bitter about it. It's like, I could have been playing Mega Man The Wily Wars. I could have been playing Pulse Man. I could have... I could have been playing that unreleased director's cut of Garfield caught in the act. Oh, yeah, the good one. Yeah, occasionally they would have stuff like that. Just uh, not remastered, but I guess upgraded versions of retail games like the Garfield platformer had a couple of exclusive levels. You're not going to play those anymore. Those Mm -mm. are gone forever. (laughs) So that was a thing over here. It lasted a few years, and I can only assume the kids who had it were really super into it because... Oh, man, Sega Channel. I know it also had, uh, you could look up news on it as well. Not actual world news, but like Sega news. Maybe world news. I don't know. I, thought it I was... think it was just Sega news. Okay, this was yeah. this was definitely aimed towards kids. It was all mm-hmm. about video games. No stocks here. No world news. It was just all about Sonic's latest adventure or whatever. I know it also had the logo with, it looked like a guy holding two things. He was like, ugh, or whatever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That that weird looking 90s guy. The Sega God, logo it was so guy. 90s. The most 90s thing. <laughs> And I didn't know this up until a couple weeks ago, but Sega Channel 
It was actually a thing in Japan, too. They brought it back a couple years after Meganet shut down. They decided, oh, wow. Sega Channel, we're bringing it to Japan. And it was pretty much an equivalent service. Like, I think the technology and the ROMs were different, but, you know, the main gist of it's still there. Download a rotating selection of games. Mm. And that also had its own exclusive line of games, including an exclusive compilation in the game No Konzume series. So that's another way you could get your Meganet games. You could get your temporarily available games through another temporarily available service and play those that way. <laughs> that is wild to me. Um, did this one also stay more aimed towards kids or did this have like stock options and stuff like that? I think it was based towards kids because mm -hmm. it had a uh, it had this cartoonish bird mascot who kind of mm. looked like he was being cool for kids. <laughs> You know the kind. Yeah. Anyway, that version of Sega Game Toshokan never got a retail release. It was just available through Sega Channel. Uh, one day it popped up in ROM lists. No one knew where it came from. Turns out it was hidden on a directory in an unreleased Sega Dreamcast uh, internet browser disc. Someone extracted the ROM of that game that was previously only available through Sega Channel. I guess they wanted to make it a freebie or something. That's amazing. What's even more amazing is that Sega is set to re-release that ROM publicly and officially with the upcoming Mega Drive Mini that's been announced to be one of the 30 included games in that collection. That is wild to me. Wow. So, so it was a long time coming, but finally we have some semi-permanent way of playing these games after they bounced from service to service to service. And then finally it's out in 2019 as part of an official Sega collection. Is this going to be in the American one? or It will not be in the American one. Of they, course. They replaced it with Earthworm Jim. Not a good trade. Great! <laughs> Not a good trade at all. Mm. I do like that at least somewhere in the world, Sega found a way to cram that unreleased game, or semi-released game, back into some hardware and bring it back into the social conscious. You can look at it in another way. You can be like, hey, another 10 bonus games on top of the 30 games included with this thing. Just, they're all in this one ROM. And they're all really tiny. And they're all really tiny. So someday soon, you will be able to experience pyramid magic. And you will find out the real pyramid magic is within us all. Wise words, Danny. So to finish up this segment, I think we should talk a little bit about the Broadcast Satellaview. That's the name of it. Mm -hmm. We should talk a little bit about the Broadcast Satellaview. You have Nintendo up. amnesia. I, when it comes to Nintendo stuff, it's like... Oh, who cares about Nintendo stuff? I mean, I Everyone knows about that. Sega, they're the ones leading the way. Mm -hmm. It wasn't like Nintendo introducing the Nintendo channel. No, it was the Sega channel. So anyway, Nintendo, following in the footsteps of Sega, released the Broadcast Satellaview for the Super Famicom in Japan. This was not a cable service. It was not a uh, telephone modem service. Instead, it was a satellite radio service that piggybacked off of St. Giga, which was a radio station for new age and experimental music. Yeah, it was a radio station that didn't have real set times for when their uh, programming played. The times were based on the uh, high or low tide, and that would also, they would play more energetic music at high tide, softer music at low tide. It was really weird! It came about during the big uh, economic uh, bubble in the that early 90s, sense. and yeah. It was ad-free, they were just all subscription-based, they were traveling the world, doing all kinds of stuff, and yeah, Nintendo approached them in the, uh, I think, 96 or so, and they were like, hey, we want to use you as a delivery service for our games. This was an interesting period for the Super Famicom, because unlike with Sega Channel, this wasn't while the console was still active. This was 96, Nintendo already rolled out the Nintendo 64, 
This was really to capitalize on their massive install base, the Super Famicom, hoping that people still had those systems kicking around and still wanted uh, to connect them to satellite radio. And believe it or not, a lot of people did. A lot of people had that satellite radio service, so they bought this accessory that bolts onto the bottom of the Super Famicom and lets you connect to the satellite radio service and download exclusive stuff. Now, unlike Sega Channel, this thing had a hub world where you could, like, customize your own in-world character. You could buy cosmetic items, talk to different people for updates in the game world. It was everything Sega Channel offered, only it was gamified, like it was in the context of a little game world that looks suspiciously like Earthbound, if you ever take a look at it. It does, yeah. But that's not all. You don't just get to customize your character. At specific times of the day, they broadcast actual games. Uh, Most famously, the game referred to as BS Legend of Zelda. That was premiered through Satellaview. What would happen is you would get your Japanese TV guide, or whatever the equivalent was. You'd look up when the programming was, and at 7pm on Saturday or whatever, you would turn on your Super Famicom, connect to St. Giga, and it would download a new Legend of Zelda adventure for you to play. Now what this was, it was kind of a remake of the original Legend of Zelda, but with a lot of stuff changed. And most notably, the background music was not normal background music. Uh, During the original broadcast, this was just radio songs, so you would hear licensed music. Uh, Stuff that was popular at the time, and stuff that Japan was playing at the time. If you listen to original broadcasts, you're going to hear Never Gonna Give You Up (laughs) frequently. That was something that people wanted to hear a lot back in the day. These broadcasts were not identical, and the only way you could catch them is you either catch the original broadcast or you hope for a rebroadcast. So, like, you could either catch it right right away or three weeks later or maybe two months after that if there's a third rebroadcast. After that, never catching it again. Gone mm-hmm. forever. Now, what fans have done in the years since is they were able to resurrect these games by first dumping the data and then ripping the original radio broadcast when available and translating it into English. So this BS Zelda, across four different weeks of programmed content, you can play it all in English, on original hardware, using the SD2 SNES flash card. It's really cool. It's really cool. It is so cool. We've we've streamed it a couple times. Yeah, the, the fan dub, not especially good, considering these are amateur fan translators trying to uh, imitate old man voices. But they're doing pretty good for what it is. Yeah. yeah, but I still appreciate it exists. And just the fact that you can play it on original hardware is amazing. Mm-hmm. Now, it wasn't just Zelda. They released several games, including exclusives. They made an exclusive BS Excitebike game featuring Mario characters. That also had the sound link capability, which is to say that it pipes in narration and CD quality audio during gameplay. Mm-hmm. Really neat stuff. I, I think there's a recording of that on YouTube as well, of the one of the original broadcasts of, and I think that one in particular plays like, hey, you, get into my car. <laughs> I just imagine Mario saying that. Yeah, well, Toad does that horrible voice of his. Yeah. It's, it's great. It's really great. That one's, that's got to be translated soon. I want to see translated Nintendo Excite Bike. Yes. There was also a little game called F-Zero 2 that was oh. a sequel to F-Zero. Uh, it shared a lot of assets with the original, but it has new tracks, new challenges. If you're an F-Zero head, you definitely want to play it. The problem is these things are really hard to find because, as with Sega's service, in order to dump these, you got to hunt down these old 8 megabit cartridges that would save the Satellaview data. you got to buy them, take them home, and in most cases, they contain nothing. In Mm -hmm. some cases, they contain games that have already been dumped or corrupted data, 
And in very rare cases, they contain games that have not been preserved. And Satellaview in particular presents a challenge to this, because a lot of cartridges, you find them with either week one or week four of BS Zelda. But who's going to stop playing that thing in week two or week three and mm-hmm. leave the, the data on the cartridge? <laughs> like, you'd have to actually stop your quest halfway through, sell it to the store on the corner, and that's the only way people could have access to week two or week three. Because, like, usually you'd just be at the beginning or someone who already finished it. But in order to get these full sets, they're real hard to come by. Most recently, there was a huge batch of Kirby games dumped. Uh, There's an exclusive Kirby Pinball and Pachinko games, among several other games released under the Kirby no Omochabako collection. That's Kirby's toy box. So go look into that. Yeah, people are going to be finding and attempting to preserve these Satellaview games for years to come, and I wish them luck. Mm-hmm. Go go, go to your local preservationist and give them a hug. Mm-hmm. They deserve it. Big ol' hug Just a big ol' hug. Just, and $20. If they complain, just go, shh, 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 it's okay. And then slip a 20 in their wallet. Yes. 20 part's very important. You usually won't be arrested for this, but <laughs> if you are, uh, we've never heard of you. We don't know you. So, so there you go. Some early examples of downloadable games for 8-bit and 16-bit consoles. It was a time. Uh, in Sega's case, it was kind of like, as I said, DVD extras, real small games, experimental games. Nintendo, on the other hand, presented a bunch of remakes, uh, semi-sequels, just real weird stuff, too. Like, there's a whole bunch of newsletters we didn't even mention that were available on Satellaview. Yeah. <laughs> if you try and browse through those... Oh man, there is so much weird stuff on there. Yeah, there's one we were there's one that was like some of them are like choose your own adventures. I think we streamed one that was just called Freud, and I can't even tell you what that one was about. Yep, Freud's big adventure. Yeah, we the experience of going through Freud's adventure is paging through a bunch of Japanese, finding nothing, and then five minutes later it suddenly presents you with these really creepy looking pictures of what looks like the Boss Baby in 1996. <laughs> it's amazing. Now, Danny, real quick, um. Much I know for the game line, you're only allowed like one game at a time. Mm-hmm. Uh, what about with the Magnet, the Sega Channel, and Satellaview? How many games were you allowed to have on the cartridge per at a time? I'm pretty sure same way. It was just okay. one game per thing. Yeah, that's all the RAM they had available. Okay. For Super Famicom, of course, that was a little bit more. They gave you up to 8 megabits or 1 megabyte to save, so plenty of graphic data to work with there. But back in the Sega days, you had to keep things simple. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just one game of... That's another thing that makes preservation so difficult, because you have to track down these cartridges and they just have one game on there. It's not like someone could ever have a complete collection, God forbid. But preservation has been a long, difficult road, and I'm very happy with where people are right now. They've discovered a lot of amazing, never-thought-to-be-seen-again games that have been brought back to life through emulation. And that's good. It's a good thing. It owns. It's really cool. Controversial opinion, emulation's great. You know what? Fight me. I think I I won't fight you. Okay. Because I agree. Don't fight me, though. I don't want to be fought. Sorry. Nobody fight me. (laughs) Yeah, I don't want any fights either. No, sorry. I just want to play video games. Same. So I'm done here. We're Retro Pals. Thanks for listening. We're on various places in the internet. We stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash retropals. Stream several times a week. It's a good time. If you want to vote for what we play, we have a Patreon. Patreon.com slash retropals. You get to vote for our streams and get an early listen to episodes like this one. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube for special video editions of our podcast, as well as stream highlights and original scripted episodes. Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. Thanks for all you do. We'll see you folks around. See ya.
All right. Uh, <laughs> Should I do the whole thing? <laughs> yeah.